ಭದ್ರಂ ಕರ್ಣೇಭ್ಯಸೃಣುಯಾಮದೇವಾ ಭದ್ರಂ ಪಶ್ಯೀಮಾಕ್ಷಭೀರ್ಯಜತ್ರೈರಂಗೈಸ್ತುಷ್ಟುವಾಗಂಸ್ತನೂಭಿ ವ್ಯಷೇಮೇವಹಿತಯ್ಯದಾಸ್ತೀನ ಇಂದ್ರೋ ವೃದ್ಧಸ್ರವಾ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀನ ಪೂಷಾ ವಿಶ್ವೇದಾ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀರ್ಣಸ್ತಾಕ್ಷರಿಷ್ಟನೇಮಿ ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿನೋ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿರ್ದಾಂತಿ ಹರಿಯೋಂ ಮೇ ವಿ ಹಿಯರ್ ವಿತ್ ಅವರ್ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಆಸ್ಪೀಷಿಯಸ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ಸೀ ವಿತ್ ಅವರ್ ಐಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಆಸ್ಪೀಷಿಯಸ್ ವೈಲ್ ಪ್ರೇಯಿಂಗ್ ವಿತ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ಲಿಮ್ಸ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ಅಟೇನ್ ದ ಲೈಫ್ ಸ್ಪ್ಯಾನ್ ಅಲಾಟೆಡ್ ಟು ಅಸ್ ಮೇ ಇಂದ್ರ ಬೆಸ್ಟೋ ವೆಲ್ ಬೀಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಅಸ್ ಮೇ ಪೂಷನ್ ದ ಗಾಡ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಅರ್ಥ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ಆಲ್ ನೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಬೆಸ್ಟೋ ವೆಲ್ ಬೀಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಅಸ್ ಮೇ ಗರೂಡ the destroyer of evil bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also bestow well-being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we concluded the study of the first chapter of the first part of mundaka upanishad So now today we will enter into the second chapter of the first part of Mundaka Upanishad second chapter of first mundaka so now the second chapter of the first mundaka it deals with the rituals as you have seen in the first chapter when the shaunaka approached angirasa his guru and asked that what's that by knowing which everything is known so he instead of giving any direct answer replied angiras replied that there are two types of knowledge paravidya and aparavidya the lower knowledge is the aparavidya and paravidya is the higher knowledge so these are the two knowledge the lower knowledge as we saw includes everything the so called all the knowledge which we can have through the process of our perceptions all the perceptual knowledge which can be processed by the mind the five senses their perceptions processed by the mind the knowledge which entails from that is aparavidya and what is the paravidya the supreme knowledge yat tat aksharam adhigamyate the knowledge by which you know the imperishable reality aksharam akshara the word akshara means that which is imperishable which never ends which never decays so that there's a reality imperishable reality which is being projected as the universe so knowing that that tat aksharam adhigamyate that's the paravidya so the entire upanishad will deal with the paravidya but before entering into the subject of paravidya the second chapter is a synopsis a summary of the karma kanda of the vedas 
why it has been enunciated, described in the Upanishad, the Upanishad which is for the purpose of Brahma Vidya, to know the knowledge of Brahman, to realize Brahman, for that the Upanishads are. So why this chapter has been dedicated to the Karmakanda? Just because that renunciation cannot be forced in life. If we are yet to have developed that renunciation, we have to go through the process of experiencing the world till the real renunciation dawns in. So renunciation cannot be forced. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that when you have a scab over the wound, if you try to remove the scab, the wound gets lacerated. So the wound will increase. Instead of healing, it will lacerate. So what's the way? The scab has to fall off naturally. So how it will naturally fall off? That's being indicated by the Vedas, that through the process of experiencing, ultimately the detachment is bound to come. So the second chapter is dealing with all those Karmakandas. The Upanishad, after describing them in gist, in short, will indicate the drawbacks of it, will indicate the limitations of it before proceeding into the study of the Brahmavidya. So, though the results of the Karmakanda has been indicated in this chapter, along with that, it has also been pointed out that after the fruit has been enjoyed, again you have to return to this earth. Because with your limited effort, you can never have unlimited attainment. You again have to come back to this world. So even the life in the highest loka, the Brahma loka, as we will find in our Vedas, they speak of seven lokas. Bhur, Bhuva, Sva, Mahajana, Tapa, Satya. These are the seven lokas. The Satya is the Brahma loka. So even if you can attain the Brahma loka, know it for certain, that doesn't constitute immortality. Immortality is only in the realization of our true original nature. But at the same time, this true immortality is not something which has to be attained. We should always remember that we are always established in our real nature. Nothing can take away our real nature from us. It is always with us. Only thing what has happened, we are forgetful about it. Something which is with me, I have forgotten about it. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that a man, a villager, at night, he was a hemp smoker. So at night, because of the urge to have hemp, he went with a lantern to the neighbor's house and knocked his door at the dead of the night. And when the neighbor opened the door, he asked that at, why at such dead at such dead night, at such unearthly hours you are here. So he told you know that I have the habit of smoking. So 
I, I need some little fire, just to have a little fire, I came to you. And the neighbor told, wow, what a fool you are. You are having the lantern in your hand and in search of fire, you came to me. So that's the forgetfulness. The self is with us. It is our real nature, but we are forgetful about it and we are searching it hither and thither. As in our scriptures, they speak of the deer in its navel, the fragrance is coming from its from the mask in its navel, but it doesn't know. It runs throughout the forest in search of the source of that fragrance. So all the source of happiness is the self which is within us. That's in the Upanishad they speak of as Chamikar Nyaya. That when you have a necklace, a lady has a necklace in her, is hanging around her neck and because it is covered by some cloth, suddenly she becomes forgetful about it and she starts searching frantically and then someone points out, wow, just what a mess you have make, making around. This necklace is just there in your neck. So this chamikar, the necklace is there around your neck. So this immortality, which we speak of in the Upanishad is not something to be attained. All the results of the rituals are something which we are going to attain. This, that in Sanskrit, they are called prapti and apti. Prapti means to attain something which I don't have. Apraptasya prapti, that is all the results of the ritual is apraptasya prapti. That I want to attain heaven. For that I am doing the rituals. That heaven at present is not attainable by me. Through those rituals, I, I attain that heaven. So it is apraptasya prapti. And then another term called in Gita, again and again we will find that term. It is called apti. Apti means praptasya prapti. It is already with you. It is already with you. You were forgetful about it. Again, to realize it is what the scriptures speak of. That you, once the ignorance is annihilated, again, you get established in that your real nature. So anything that is attained is destroyed in time. The thing which you are, that cannot be destroyed you because that's your nature. But if any, anything you attain in this life, you will find whatever we attain, we cannot keep it through eternity. It has to be destroyed at certain point of time. See, if it is true in our present life, whatever we attain in this present life, can we hold on to it through eternity? It has to go. It, it is bound to destroy. So if it is true in our present life, it must be true in the life hereafter. That sometimes we have the idea of eternal heaven. Upanishads were bold enough to declare that there cannot be an eternal heaven. As in Sanskrit they say, Tat yatha iha karma chita loka kshiyate. Just as the way all the positions in life which I attain through karma. Tat yatha iha karma chita loka kshiyate. Evam eva amutra, still just in the same way, amutra, hereafter, 
punyachita loka kshiyate. All the lokas, all the various planes of existence that we can attain with all our pious deeds, that also has to decay. Kshaya, from the word kshaya, means decay. The word kshiyate came. That everything has is bound to decay. So anything which I'm attaining is bound to, I'm bound to lose it at certain point of time. It is bound to decay. That, but the thing which is my nature, no one can take it away from me. So the real immortality, the real immortality, which is again getting established in your real self, no one can take it away from me. Maybe I'm ignorant for it for the time being, but it is still with me. It was with me because of ignorance. I am forgetful about it. But though I am forgetful about it, it is still with me. When the ignorance falls, ignorance falls off, again I will realize that I am the same person. I have lost nothing. It was just because of ignorance I felt that I am in. Means abject misery, dukkha. But actually, it is just a false superimposition because of ignorance. So that's the basic idea which will be taught in the entire Upanishad. But as we mentioned, the second chapter of the first part of Mundaka Upanishad will describe the karma, kanda, in short, to give us an idea that what all things are achievable by it, and what are the limitations of it? That though you can attain, like all the things in this world, you cannot keep it. It has to decay. Maybe the span will be more, but it has to decay today or tomorrow. So now let us, with a small introduction, enter into the mantras. The first mantra of the second chapter of the first part of Mundakapanisha. Tat etat satyam. Mantreshu karmani Kavayo yana pashyastani tretayang vahudha santatani tanya charatha niyatang satyakama eshavapantha sukritasya loke. So, this is the truth. Tat etat satyam. Not the absolute truth. When the absolute reality finds expression as the universe, it finds expression as rhythm. It's not chaotic. It follows certain law of cause and effect, which cannot be broken. So the, here the satya is meant by that rhythm. By the word satya, we mean rhythm. That it's not the absolute truth which is being spoken of. That in the yajna, by performing certain yajna in a prescribed way, certain result you are going to accrue. That's the law. No one can bring it. So, so this is the thing which Upanishad is asserting. This is the truth. Tat etat satyam. What is the truth? The sacrificial works which were revealed to the rishis. So this sacrifice, all the sacrifice which we find in the Vedas are not something which has been devised by the rishis that they themselves from their fertile brain imagined all those things. It is something which was revealed, the law of cause and effect, certain action leading to certain result. 
that is already there in the nature. It was just revealed to the rishis. Just the scientists discover the laws of nature are already there. Newton never is the one who uh, introduced gravitation. Gravitation was there. He only removed the ignorance of it. This, all the laws of gravitation were valid even before Newton. He just revealed it. Similarly, the rishis reveal all the laws behind the sacrificial works. What all results it will result to. So the sacrificial works which were revealed to the rishis in the hymns. So this mantreshu, karmani, kavayo, yanya, pashyastani, pashyastani. So this kavayo, kavi is the rishi. Why this, the word kavi is meant by, why the rishi, uh, for the rishi we word they use, we use the word kavi. We know that kavi means the one who writes poem. Poet is a kavi. So what he will do? Certain ideas, he will write it in particular meter, in particular rhythm. So as he follows that rhythm, so what he creates is called poem and he is called the poet, kavi. So expressing the some truth in rhythm is the one who is Kavi. So here, the one who has discovered the laws behind the nature, he has discovered the rhythm behind the nature. The nature is not chaotic. There's a rhythm behind it. He has discovered it. So that's why the Rishis are called Kavi. So what they discovered? Mantreshu Karmani. What they discovered that all the results of karma what they discovered that they encrypted in the form of this mantra. So they revealed the sacrificial works which were revealed to the rishis in the hymns. All the hymns speaks of that. And that has been described in many, in, in, uh, that has been described in the three Vedas. That's what being Tretayang, Vahudha, Santatani. So all these various uh, results of Yajna, has been described in the three Vedas. So what are the three Vedas? Rik, Sama, Yajur. You may say there's a four Vedas, Atharva. What about that? Yes, Atharva Veda doesn't deal with the Yajyas. So that's why it is not included in this list. All the sacrifice, sacrificial works, uh, these three are the Vedas which deals with Rik, Sama, Yaju. So all the mantras which are being compiled in these three Vedas, Rik, Sama, Yaju, which has been compiled by the Rishis, they deal with all these karma khandas. So what type of karma will result in what type of action? So if you are desirous to attain the results, then what you have to do? You have to perform. So, Tani Acharata Niyatam Satyakama. If you are desirous of truth, it is again not the absolute truth, Satyakama. One who is desirous of truth is Satyakama. So, here, by Satyakama doesn't mean the ultimate truth. 
that the laws of cause and effect which we find in these yagyas this can never be altered this can never be broken they are bound if you perform them perfectly you are bound to get that result so those who are desirous of that result so they have been called here as satya kama it's the truth if you do it perfectly you are bound to get that result so if you are desirous of the results of those actions like attainment of heaven then you have to practice them tani acharata niyatam satya kama and this is the path leading to the fruits of your work esha vapantha sukritasya loki so here the truth which has been spoken of is the effect which comes from doing the yagya perfectly here again that perfection is a very important thing when you are trying to contemplate on your real nature there again this perfection is not that important why is not that uh, it's important but it doesn't have any adverse effects if if i am not uh, up to the mark in my contemplation of the self my liberation may be prolonged but it is not going to have any adverse effect but here the yagya if it not doing properly then instead of yielding result it will yield some harmful result so that's why it has to be done perfectly so that will we will come to those mantras uh, just succeeding mantras it will describe so these three vedas as we told the rik sama yaju they describe the all these yagyas and how the yagyas to be performed you have to call the priests like when you have some legal complications you have, you have to resort to the lawyer who knows the law so here all these priests are the one who knows the laws behind the yagya so the one who is adept in the rikveda or the mantras of the rikveda he is called the hota of the samaveda he is the udgata udgata means to sing samaveda is to be was sung it was in the form of poem so there is called udgata the one the priest of samaveda is the udgata of the yajurveda is advarju so these are the three priests which are must who will be uh, performing the homa as per prescribed in the rik sama and the yajurveda the one who is if it is an adept in atharvaveda he has to be present as a witness but he won't be taking part in the sacrifice because as we mentioned atharvaveda does not contain injunctions to the sacrifices so there is no priest who will be participating in the yagya that's why it is mentioned that tretaya the three this as has been revealed by the rishis in the three vedas that's why the word tretaya is there but some interprets the word treta as one of the four yugas as you all know in the in vedic scriptures in the puranas there is a mention of four yugas satya treta dwapara kali yuga and each yuga for the spiritual practice had a particular mode prevalent in satya yoga it is the meditation contemplation that was the mode of spiritual practice in treta 
it was sacrifice. In Dwapara, it was building temple and worshipping the deity. In Kali, it is Nama Sankirtana. In this yuga, it is taking the name. That's the practice. So in here, where someone says as Treta, in the Treta, this is mainly all the sacrifice was the thing. There's all this Homa, sacrificial work, this, all this uh, um, sacrifice, sacrificial works which has been prescribed in the Vedas that was prevalent in the Treta Yuga. So that's why the word Treta has been used here. But uh, whatever may be the meaning, the real thing is that these are in the form of hymns in the three Vedas. And it has to be practiced as it, as it has been indicated. So if you want the results of those actions, you still don't have that renunciation to renounce the results of action and be established in your own self. You want to enjoy the various locus. So then tani acharata niyatang satyakama. So practice them being desirous to attain the results of those action of those sacrifices. So each of those sacrifices when rightly performed produces definite result. You will find there were so many yagyas, putreshti yagya, that in the Ramayana it is mentioned when Dasharatha was not having any children, he did that putreshti yagya to get the progeny. So, so what each yagya has a definite result. So whatever result you want, accordingly you do the yagya. If you do it perfectly, know it for certain, you are going to get that result. So this is the thing which is being mentioned here. So in the previous chapter, we found that the lower knowledge and the higher knowledge has been described. The result of the lower knowledge is life in samsara, where everything is flowing. Samsarate iti samsara. Everything is flowing here. So nothing is going to be permanent. If you want that, well and good. You may be happy with the temporal presence of life, but know it for certain, it is not going to give you the permanent happiness. And the result of the higher knowledge is moksha, the liberation. Samsara is characteristic just as a, to enter into this chapter, Shankaracharya in his commentary is introducing by this subject by first showing the difference, the demarcation between the result of the Aparavidya and the result of the Paravidya. So this Sankshara is characterized by multiplicity of actions and their corresponding results. See, there are so many academic courses. By pursuing each academic course, you get a definite type of profession. So similar, similar thing is being indicated in these Vedas. So all these various yagyas are meant for their corresponding results. But moksha on the other hand consists of cessation of the samsara. You want to go beyond it, which is free from the shara vikara. That's why it is akshara, which is imperishable. That all the six changes which we see in this life, in anything, jayate, asti, vardhate, viparinamate, apakshyate, nasti. That we are born, we exist, we grow, we transform, we start decaying and then death. So all this Sharavikara is negated there. So you have to get established in that. It's not just mere knowledge. 
you have to realize it as the upanishads will be saying again and again atma va are drashtavya drishti drashtavya you have to as if see it not the way we see the objects it is something which is perceived as the core of my being it has to be realized and how it has to be realized srotavya mantavya nididhyasitavya you have to hear about the truth the absolute truth and mantavya you have to do manana over it cogitating over it the idea may not be very clear at the very beginning but constantly cogitating upon it an intellectual conviction will develop yes there is something which is imperishable and which is the real nature by real nature and which is that non dual reality behind the entire existence when that intellectual conviction comes then comes nididhyasana nididhyasitavya to meditate on that intellectual conviction is nididhyasana so that it becomes a that a palpable truth in your life by meditating upon it you go to that realization ultimately so this is the process after you hear srotavya mantavya you mentally cogitate and then on your intellectual conviction you meditate which will take you to the realization so now what here are you going to realize what's that absolute realization we all can have an inkling of it that when i was a small child the same i who has now grown old do you feel the idea of amness which you had as a child has changed when you have grown old it is the same amness that amness never changes it is i who was a small boy it is i who was a young i was the infant i was a young boy i was a middle aged person i will become an old person the same i so it is beyond the sharavikara it is a witness of all the six changes not only that it is a witness of the three states of our existence jagrat swapna shushupti when i am awake when i am in dream state and when i am in deep sleep the i the experiences are changing the experiences are contradicting the experience of the dream state contradicts the experience of the waking state but the one who is experiencing can you doubt that about its existence or about the uh, identity of the same uh, that's uh, the one who is witnessing the same eyewitness so to realize that unchanging amness as the imperishable reality it is behind all the saravikaras it is behind all the three states of our daily existence jagrata swapna shushupti and what it is it can never be objectified because it is the eternal subject so you can never objectify just the way i can point out to a flower that this is a flower i cannot point and say this is a self because it is the eternal subject just as with the eyes i can see everything but i cannot see the eyes with the eyes so the ultimate subject can never be known that way can never be objectified but it can be realized just as the way shankaracharya is saying like a fruit in your palm karatala 
karatala amala kavat as if you are holding a fruit in your hand so that way the self can be just directly you can be directly realizing it so that's the aim so the second chapter will be beginning with the description of the lower knowledge so though the higher knowledge will be described in the succeeding chapters here first to give an idea of what all those sacrifices are and what results it lead to it will be described in this chapter it will be shown in this chapter after describing the result that all the results are ephemeral they are not permanent so only when a man understand this then only he will desire to cultivate the higher knowledge which results in liberation so it is through bhoga you have to go to the yoga there is no other way unless we have to certain we all have developed to certain extent dispassion through the experiences of life it is almost impossible to develop that renunciation which is the prerequisite for brahma vidya for getting established in brahma vidya so that's why as that experience is required in short upanishad now will start discussing the yagyas as has been described in the vedas but it is just in short so the second mantra will speak of the agnihotra sacrifice so it it is it was one of the most predominant sacrifices it precedes all other sacrifices that's why that has been taken for discussion in the second uh, mantra of this second chapter of the first part of mundaka upanishad so let us read the uh, this all this mantras which deals with the sacrifices it doesn't have much much to discuss but as we have to do justice to the study of the upanishad we will go through them so what's the second mantra yada lelayate herchi samidhe havya vahane tad ajya bhagavat tat ajya bhagavan tarena huti pratipadayat फुलट then you have to offer the oblation where tajya tat ajya bhaga bhaga bhagavat tarena huti means you have to imagine the fire as two halves is the left and the right the sacrificial fire has to be visualized as having two halves and the oblation has to be offered between those two halves so this is the basic concept behind all the yagyas fire sacrifice that why we are offering oblations to the fire because the idea of so many gods are there this ideas of gods are the personification of the forces of nature like varuna is a wind god indra the thunderbolt god this all these forces of nature has been personified so to appease them 
so that the Indra, the Varuna, if they just are not pleased with us, there can be natural disasters. So to appease them, I am offering the oblations in the form of this uh, yajna. In the yajna, I am offering oblations. And that has the specific instructions. So fire is the mouth of all the gods. As we told, all the forces of nature, the personification of the forces of nature are the god. They are something which are not, uh, all the forms of gods and goddesses came much later. This idols were not there in the Vedic ages. Fire was the mouth of all the gods who are not as such perceptible. They don't have form. It is the fire is the mouth. It is the courier who takes my oblation to the various gods. So in the, this, the primitive mind of the, our these ancestors, the fire moves upwards. Anything you offer along with the flame, it moves upward. And that's the thing they, start, they wanted to visualize that with this upward movement, it is the oblations which have been carried to all the forces of nature the personification of the forces of nature. And that's how the yajyas are being performed. So yada, lelayat, when the fire is well lit, the flames are flickering, and then you pour, imagine the fire to be of two halves in between both, just the way when you eat, your upper jaw and lower jaw has to move apart, and in between you put the food. So these are the two jaws, the two halves of the fire, like the two jaws. That has to so open up. In between, you pour the oblation. So just as you see, this needs not much explanation. It is just instructions. But it has to be done perfectly. There are many impediments in the way of properly performing this Agnihotra sacrifice. So these the impediments. It is being mentioned in the third mantra that if you don't perform the yajna perfectly, it may lead to contrary result. So what is being mentioned here? Yasya agni hotram adarsham apounamasam achatur masyam anagrayanam atithi varjitam cha. Ahutam, Avaishwavedam, Avidhina, Hutam, Saptamangstasya, Lokan Hinasti. What did you say? The, if a man's Agnihotra sacrifice is not accompanied, you know, the main Agnihotra sacrifice, it has to be accompanied by some other subsidiary sacrifices. They have been named as Darsha. So if the Agnihotra is not accompanied by them, the Darsha and the Purnamasa, just to understand, even in the present Durga Puja, it's an elaborate Puja for four days. We know there are so many subsidiary. There may be some, some of the subsidiaries you can avoid, some you cannot. Like on the Ashtami day, the Kumari Puja is not something which is must. You may do, you may not do. But on Navami, the Homa, it has to be done. You cannot avoid it. Sandhi Puja has to be done. 
So here also they are indicating the same thing. From that you will get the idea. In the Agnihotra sacrifice also have many subsidiary yagyas. Some of them you cannot avoid. It has to. It has to be done along with the main sacrifice. So what are they? Darsha, Purnamasa. These are the sacrifice. And another four-month sacrifice. So and this Chaturmasya, in the rainy season, uh, when you are not supposed to move out, then the yagya has to be done. So that Chaturmasya yagya, that also has to be subsidiary to this Agnihotra sacrifice. There are some sacrifice which has to be done in the months of autumn, in the, during the autumn season. So that is this autumnal sacrifice, this Agrayanam. Anagrayanam means you are not performing that autumnal sacrifice. So if you are not performing, then you will have the contrary result. So if you don't perform Darsha, if you don't perform Purnamasa, if you don't perform Chaturmasya and Agrayanam sacrifice, if it is, the next thing is important, if it is unattended by hospitality to guests, for every day, for every day, your yajna has to be attended by some guests. Some guests should be there, whom you have to feed. You have to feed them. You have to entertain them every day. So that's why the guest was considered as Narayana, so important in our tradition. You will find that in India, in Indian tradition, even it's there when uh, you uh, when someone invites a sadhu to their house for feeding them or some holy person along with that the dakshina is given that you give you actually it is you are inviting someone and you are remunerating him you may feel how oh, i'm already treating him why why to remunerate the idea is here because if you invite someone he doesn't come the yajna remains incomplete so you have to remunerate and make it a must that they should come so that's the idea where this, it is, this, if it is Atithi Varjitam, then again the Yajna uh, won't yield its result. So, and then what? Uh, this unaccompanied by another ceremony called Vaishwadeva ceremony. So these are all uh, intricacies of the Vedas. We won't go to the details of it that you may now ask that what is Darsha, uh, Darsha sacrifice, what is Purnamasa? They are all in the Vedas. We need not go into them. Why then we are studying this? Just to say that how much perfection was required for this yajyas. It had so many subsidiaries. All has to be taken care of. Atithi was very important because in, in when you are doing any yajya, lot of vows are there and all the vows has to be taken in someone's presence. If vow is not taken in someone's presence, there is no witness to that vow, what vow we have taken. So they are just have you ever seen a wedding ceremony where guests are not there? Why this tradition is there that during the wedding, the guests should be there? Because when the groom and the bride are taking the vows that they are going to be just faithful to each other, they're going to complement each other throughout the life. If these vows are not heard by someone, that was a real idea, actual idea. Everything has now become just a ritual. Now, what's going on, no one bothers. But the real idea is that, that I have taken the vow in front of all. Now, if I break, all knows that I have break, I have just broken the vows. 
So the vows become something very, very authentic when it is taken in someone's presence. So that's why Atithi becomes very important because the vows has to be taken in someone's presence. And then you have to, of course, entertain them. So this, that's why Atithi was so important. So if I'm not doing the yagyas perfectly, taking care of all these subsidiaries, then what happens? This hinasti. But not only this world, the attainment of all the seven worlds is something which is impossible. You destroy the seven worlds. This who this again to take birth as a human being, that itself is a something which we all want, but to speak of the higher levels of existence. So this bhu, bhuva, swa, maha, jana, tapa, satya, these seven locus, these higher locus, you destroy if this the attainment of this seven world, if the yagyas are not done properly. So in one interpretation, it says you destroy the seven worlds, seven lokas. In another interpretation, that when you do yajna perfectly, the result is accrued by the seven generations. You, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your predecessors, that is, the, they are your ancestors, the three ancestors, and the three descendants, son, grandson, and great-grandson. So all together, seven. So all the results of the yagyas are accrued for the seven generations. If you don't do it perfectly, all is gone. So that's the idea of behind this mantra, that this yagya is going to give me some benefit, but it has to be done perfectly. It's something like surgery. When some surgery is being performed, it can give me new life. But a little, little mistake can just be the cause of my death. So there all the steps has to be performed minutely, accurately, exactly. The same thing is what to speak of surgery in our day-to-day -day life. All the things for launching a rocket, a simple mistake can just lead to the crash. So many steps has to be followed minutely. So here also the yajna, the same thing is being indicated. All the things which has been prescribed, when you do minutely, perfectly, then only the result you, you accrue. Even the pronunciation of the mantras are very important. Sometimes the if we pronounce the mantras wrongly, total meaning changes and it can lead to contrary result. So that's the warning which is being given in the third mantra. The fourth mantra speaks of the sacrifice itself, the seven flames of the sacrificial this fire. The names have been given. There are seven flames. If the sacrificial fire is lit properly, the seven types of flames will be visible. What are they? The fourth mantra speaks of that. Kali, Karali, Chamano, Java, Chasulo, Hitang, Yacha, Sudhumra, Varna, Sfulingini, Vishwaruchi, Devi, Lelayamana, Iti, Sapta, Jiva. 
They are like the seven tongues. Saptajiva. The seven tongues of fire. What are they? The names are Kali, Karali, Manojava third, fourth Sulohita, fifth Sudhumravarna, sixth Sphulingini, and the seventh Vishwaruchi. So they are a bit suggestive. They all have a meaning. Kali means black. Some of the uh, these tongues of flame will be of black color. Karali means terrific. Manojava, swift as thought. You will find that with the crackling of the fire, some of the flames are just shooting up very fast. So these, they are the Manojava. They are as swift as thought. Sulohita. Sulohita. Lohita means red. It's very red. Sulohita. Sudhumravarna. Some will be of the color of the smoke, means which is enveloped with some bright smoke, almost like purple color. So some of the flames will be of that color, of the bright smoky color. So that is Sudhumravarna. Sfulingini. Some of the flames will have various offshoots, Sfulingas and Vishwaruchi. Some of the flames will be luminous from all sides, Vishwaruchi. So these are the suggestive names of the seven tongues of the flame. When the fire is lit properly, you can see the seven tongues of flame of this varied uh, texture, of this varied composition. So what's the result of the sacrifice is described in the next mantra. If you do it perfectly, then what is the result which you're going to accrue? Eteshu yah charate brhajamaneshu yatha kalam cha ahutaya hi adadayan tang nayanti eta suryasya rashmayo yatra devanam patihi ekah adhivasah. Eteshu yah charate brhajamaneshu. Yah charate. A man who performs the sacrifices, yeah, charate, the one who has performed the sacrifices. When he has performed, when those flames are shining, that's Braja Manisha, when they were shining, have, the time is very important. The flame has to be of particular shape. Then only you have to offer the oblations. So when the flames are shining, Braja Manisha, and he has offered the sacrifice and offers the oblations at the right time, yatha kalam. So that's why the astrology developed. Uh, the astrological studies that to calculate the proper time for doing pro proper yagya. So yatha kalam, in the proper tithi, in the, with the proper nakshatra, taking all those things into account, you do the yagya in proper time and is taken up then if you have done that correctly, then what happens? Then you are as if taken up and carried by the oblations. Tang nayanti eta. So this, this the, the, what when you do the oblations correctly, this results, your results which you accrue is as if takes you up along with the flames on the rays of the sun. Suryasya Rashmaya. It speaks of effulgence. The sacrificial fire, fire takes you up along with the rays of sun, where to the sovereign of the God, to the where the this the devas, the yagya, the deities of the yagya where they reside, the heavens. So yatra devanam pati 
Eka Adhivasaha. It can be the Indra Loka, it can be the Brahma Loka. So that's the idea. When you do the Yajna properly, this, along with the flames, uh, you're carried with the rays of the sun to those Lokas, effulgent Lokas, where the Devas reside. And it has been this how the sacrificer is led to the heaven is poetically described in the next mantra. So we will just, this have nothing much to discuss. We will just, as, as we told, just to do justice to the study of the Upanishad, we will study them and go through its meaning to understand what is the idea behind it. So it's very poetically described that how, just the way when you welcome a guest, the rest, when a guest, some VIP guest is there, you are there to welcome him. Similarly, when you are taken to the heaven, you are welcome. So how ehi ehi, ehi ehi means come, come. Iti tam ahu ahutaya suvarchasa. So this what is have is tam ahutaya suvarchasa. This luminous, this this luminous oblations say to the sacrificer. This oblations they are welcoming. Say to the sacrifice, what they say? Ehi, ehi, iti. Come, you are most welcome. And lead him to the rays of the sun. Suryasya Rashmi bhi yajamanam vahanti. They call him, these oblations call him, and as if put them, just the way some guests just uh, welcome you and make you sit on the car. So here the car is the rays of the sun. On that you are being boarded. So the oblations board you on the rays of the sun. Suryasya Rashmi bhi yajamanam vahanti. So vahana becomes the rays of the sun. Suryasya Rashmi. The, the one who is doing the yajya is the yajamana. To him, the sacrificer is being carried by the rays of the sun. And they speak all sorts of lovely things to you. Priyam vacham abhivadantya archayantaha. They worship you. Archayanta means they worship you. And they greet you with all sorts of pleasant words. Priyam vachan abhivadanti. Archayanti. They worship. They welcome you with all pleasant words. And what they say? Esha vapunya sukrita brahmaloka. This is the brahmaloka which you have attained through your great deeds. So with all this way, all this uh, what you say this, uh, all these rituals, all this paraphernalia, you are being welcome to that loka. But know it for certain. Such a nice welcome, but it is not going to be with you through eternity. That will be again mentioned in the next mantra as aplava, adhrira rupa. This is something which you have attained, doesn't have a very strong foundation. It will crumble. Though for the time being, you get such a such an approbation, accolades, it's not going to stay with you. It is going to be over. So that will be again indicated in the next mantra. So this karma, which is not associated with the knowledge of the self, has been decried to to in this open in this uh, chapter itself to be of having limited result. It is a product of avidya kama karma, just like any other uh, action which 
results from ignorance. Why we resort to action? Because of the ignorance of my real nature. The happiness, the bliss which is within me, I think it is something outside. I'm in search of it. And that results in desire. From desire comes action. In my day-to-day life here, everything, all the action is bound by that avidya kama karma chakra. The same avidya kama karma chakra extends even up to the highest heaven. They ultimately result in the dissatisfaction, in dukkha. When in this life we find when all the achievements which we have in our life, when they are falling off, it becomes so difficult. We still want to linger on to it, but know it for certain. We all know it for certain. We cannot linger. We cannot hold on to it, but we try our best. And that creates a tremendous dissatisfaction. Ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of soul. So it is bound to result in dukkha. It cannot liberate us ultimately. It cannot liberate the sacrificer. It ultimately leads to decay and death. It again brings us back to this earth. As has been mentioned in Gita. Even here in this chapter it will be mentioned. So, so it ultimately is not going to give us happiness. In Bengali, they say that Joto Hashi Toto Kanna. As that, that happiness and sorrow can be as if measured in a balance. It's just in this life, the quantum of the, the quantity of happiness you get has to be balanced by the sorrow. The more intense is your happiness, the more intense will be your sorrow. Because you are not, when, with, when, when the happiness which I get by getting something, if it is intense, just think how intense will be the suffering when it will be taken away from me. So the more the happiness, the more the suffering. How to go beyond it? That's the main purpose of the Upanishad. Just to show the defect of all the result which accrues from all this karma kanda. This chapter is indicating in short all these sacrifices. So we will continue uh, this chapter with the next mantra. We'll describe the limitations of this sacrifice. It has been condemned. Is all the sacrifices condemned in the next mantra. That we will again take up in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.